Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Thousands, literally thousands of professional athletes have played in their respective sport without ever having won a championship. Of course, there are thousands who have won, but only one professional athlete has ever won a championship in two sports. Gene Conley won a World Series with the Milwaukee Braves and later won three championships with the Boston Celtics to become the only person to ever win a championship in two different sports. And next, on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we're going to take a look back at the remarkable career of Gene Conley. This is Sports Forgotten Heroes, a tribute to the stars who shaped the games we love to watch and the games we love to play. Stars who provided us with many thrills, but when their time was up, they faded away. We'll take a look back at their spectacular careers, their moments of fame, even if it was just for one season or just one game. And now, here's your host, Warren Rogan. Hello, and welcome once again to Sports Forgotten Heroes. Couldn't be happier that you've decided to tune in and listen to today's podcast about a truly unique individual, the only guy to win a championship in two of the four major sports. That's Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, and the NHL. Conley won in Major League Baseball and the NBA. Now, on our last podcast, I teased the fact that today's show would be about Roberto DiVincenzo. However, I've changed up the lineup, and I'll have that podcast about DiVincenzo next time, as it will be more apropos with the Masters happening that week, too. And my special guest for the show about DiVincenzo, as we'll talk about the 50th anniversary of his scoring error that led to Bob Golby getting the green jacket, will be golf historian Peter Kessler. That's next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes. This episode, however, is about Gene Conley. And what a special story. And joining me to tell Conley's story will be John Hussman, who, by the way, is the team historian for the Toledo Mudhens and was a personal friend of Conley before Conley passed in 2017. First, though, as always, a little housekeeping. Today's Sports Forgotten Heroes podcast is sponsored by Audible. With Audible, you get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash sportsfh. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Audible is a great way to show your support for Sports Forgotten Heroes and a terrific way to listen to your favorite books, especially when you're on the run. Give it a try free at www.audibletrial.com backslash sportsfh. I've listened to several Audible books and I have several in my queue, some of which I've listened to for Sports Forgotten Heroes. Check out Audible. It's really a great service and some of the talent to read the books is really good and it's free for 30 days. 
Follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Twitter at SportsFHeroes. Look for our page on Facebook or visit Sports Forgotten Heroes on the web at SportsFH.com. And if you feel inspired to do so, we'd love to hear from you. So leave us a comment on SportsFH.com. And again, if you feel inspired to do so, please leave us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. Now, on to today's podcast and Gene Conley. He was born in Muskegee, Oklahoma, and at the age of 10, his family relocated to Richland, Washington. And this is where he developed an incredible aptitude for sports. In fact, he really excelled in basketball, baseball, and track, lettered in all three in high school. He hit nearly 500 in baseball, averaged more than 15 points per game in hoops, was selected to the All-State basketball team, and was runner-up in the state track meet in the high jump, where he cleared 6 feet 3 inches. For his efforts, he was inducted into the school's Hall of Fame. His excellence in sports also led to several scholarship offers, and he chose Washington State. In high school, he uh, he played several sports and was good at all of them. Uh, he played uh, basketball, and as you mentioned, he did track. He was a high jumper, uh, and when he get uh, went to college, he was uh, a heck of a basketball player and a heck of a baseball player. What do you know about that? <laughs> uh, he, he was then uh, played in the precursor of the Pac-12. I don't know what it was called then, but he led them to a division title uh, one of his years out there and they they lost ucla in the finals Mm -hmm. uh did did very well in baseball as well uh one of the highlights of his amateur baseball career was he played in uh in a game in new york city called the uh uh it was sponsored by the first newspapers and Mm -hmm. it was an all-star game that was uh uh, pitted uh new york city all-stars against all-stars from the rest of the country and he uh, he played in that game uh, and pitched against, uh, get this, Frank Torrey. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a name that goes back. Yeah, And sure. I remember when he told me. Joe he, Torrey's when he told brother. Me, his brother, and he said uh, uh, Joe was uh, Joe was at the uh, ball game, and he met him at that time. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, Frank Torrey played here in Toledo for the Braves, too. Oh, interesting. So we knew him as well, yeah. But Gene Conley was a great all-around athlete. He he could do it all. That was John Hussman. Earlier, I mentioned that he's the team historian for the Toledo Mudhens and was a close friend of Conley's as well. Hussman first learned of Conley when he played for Toledo. It was 1953, and Conley, who was property of the Boston Braves, remember, the Braves first played in Boston from 1912 until 1952, before moving on to Milwaukee for the 1953 season, and they played there through the 1965 season before relocating to Atlanta. Conley went 23-9 for Toledo, completing 24 games while posting an ERA of 2.90 to go along with 211 strikeouts in 261 innings pitched. Well, he was a big, tall pitcher. Uh, That's what I remember about him. And I I should give you a little uh, uh, of my history with Gene uh, before we start, Warren. Sure. Uh, I grew I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and I had a grandfather that just loved baseball. And I spent my summers with him, and he lived a couple of blocks from uh, 
our well it was double A then, double A park in Toledo called Swainfield. We uh, lost our baseball team in 1952. Didn't have any baseball and it broke his heart. I was uh, I was 10 years old in 1952, but I remember that. And uh, we lost our team. But the next spring, the Boston Braves moved to Milwaukee and bumped the Milwaukee Brewers out, and they needed a place to go, and they came to Toledo. Hmm. And Gene came with them, and Toledo has got a rich baseball history, uh, but not rich in winning. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's been pretty lean, but they came to town and won the pennant and very nearly uh, won the uh, playoffs to go on to the Junior World Series, but they lost to uh, Kansas City Yankee Farm. Uh-huh. Uh, in seven games, and part of the reason that they might not have beaten them was that Gene Conley was out with a bad back. His huh. physical problems started down before he ever got to the majors. And and he did. He had a lot of injury issues throughout his career, both on the hard court and on the diamond. Well, he did. He had nagging things. That back that I mentioned uh, that flared up here uh, in 1953 before he ever got up, uh, well, got, before he got up to stay, at any rate, uh, nagged him his whole life. Uh, and one of the reasons I started talking to him was uh, we had a uh, reunion here in Toledo of the 1953 pennant-winning team, and I was instrumental in that. I'm the uh, historian for the Toledo Mudhens. But we we put that uh, reunion together, and we had seven or eight players come from the team, and he was on top of my list because he was my hero. Uh, but he couldn't come then because... He couldn't bend his big frame into a plane seat because of his back problem. Mm. So it started here in 1953. He never got rid of. Mm. And he had a he had a rotator cuff injury uh, from pitching that he never fixed, and uh, that bothered him his whole life. Uh, so he had some chronic problems that uh, really limited what he what he could do, both basketball and baseball. Mm. So you know his minor league career is nothing to overlook either. Heck, his his first year in the minors, he won 20 games and had an ERA of it was in the low twos. It was like a 2.16 ERA. He was the MVP of the Eastern League. He was named by the Sporting News as the Minor League Player of the Year. Can, you, Hartford, yeah. can you tell yeah. us a little bit about his minor league career and maybe how dominant he was and how fast he advanced through the minors? Well, he he, uh, he didn't advance through the minors fast enough to suit him. Uh, he was at Hartford, I think, in 51, as you mentioned, and was a Sporting News Minor League Player of the Year. But then he thought he might be going to the Braves. He had a couple of years, and he had two good years. Uh, but he told me, they said, they said I didn't have enough seasoning, and they sent me to Toledo again. And he still sounded a little bitter about that. Uh-huh. Not bitter, but maybe maybe put out a bit. So he came to Toledo in 53 and uh, won 22 or 23 games, did some hitting, uh, and led the Toledo team to the, uh, to the Penn and the American Association and just uh, did it all. And he thought he was a cinch to, to go to Milwaukee the next year, and he did. But he said, you know what? They didn't give me a start till July because I needed more seasoning still. Huh. But, you know, they had guys like Spahn and Luberdet up there, and it was pretty tough sure, <laughs> to sure. break into that rotation. And they had the, the Braves had the makings of that 
championship teams that played the Yankees on uh, 57 and 58 for the in the World Series. So and they won it in 57. It was, it was tough to get in. Uh, so I guess, you know, that sounds like a short minor league career, but he thought he should have been on a faster track than he was. But I think they brought him along just, just right. At the same time Conley was pitching for Boston's minor league team, he was also getting a taste of professional basketball. In fact, prior to the 1953 season with Toledo, Conley was coming off the bench for the Boston Celtics. He appeared in 39 games for the Celts in the 52-53 season and averaged just over two points and four rebounds a game. But that 52-53 season was to be the only taste of professional basketball Conley would get until he suited up again for the 58-59 season, quite some time between playing. You see, the 23-9 record he posted with Toledo in 1953 impressed the Braves so much so that they called him up for good in 1954 and asked him to give up basketball. He played uh, very early in his career, and then basketball, I mean. And then he, uh, then he laid off for several years, three or four or five years, and then came back. Right. And I think the reason he laid off was the Braves paid him not to play. They didn't want him playing basketball. Hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, eventually that to him being traded to the Phillies when he insisted on doing it. Uh, and I think he did it for the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, in reading the book, that his uh, his wife Katie did a uh, biography called "One of a Kind," mm-hmm. and uh, money seemed to be an issue uh, for them early in the career. And I think that might be one reason he did it. Uh, but as I recall, Auerbach every year was hesitant to do it too, mm-hmm. and he'd give him a tryout. And I, I think there was at least one year that Gene went to Boston to try out for him and paid his own expenses to do it. So it wasn't a, a slam dunk, you know, for him to, to make that team. It, it took a lot of uh, effort on his part to, to do it. Mm-hmm. So like Hussman said, in 1954, Gene finally got his seasoning and he slid right into the rotation for the Braves. He went 14 and nine. He was third in rookie of the year voting actually got some MVP votes, too, and he appeared in the All-Star game. He wound up the year with a 2.96 ERA. But there was one thing that affected Conley from ever becoming a super stud on the mound. Injuries. In fact, injuries affected him for his entire career, even in basketball. And playing both sports certainly didn't offer a whole lot of time to heal from year to year. Minor league basketball teams even tried to entice him to play with some pretty lucrative offers. In fact, the Wilkes-Barre Barons of the then American Basketball Association offered Gene a contract for $5,000. But once the Braves found out, they gave Gene $1,000 not to play. And he went on to work as a laborer as an iron worker. But that didn't last very long, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Now, while Conley was contemplating playing both basketball and baseball at the same time, he wasn't the first to do so, as we've also talked before. Others before him and others after played two sports as well. The thing I think that set set Conley apart was that he, uh, he played both concurrently for six years. 
And he packed he packed twelve years in the of play or twelve seasons in the six years, and that's just brutal. I mean, I can't I can't imagine anybody doing that for six years in a row. No, the only guy that comes to mind like that is actually someone much more recent, and you know his career ended tra you know not tragically, but you know too soon, and that was Bo Jackson, and he played baseball oh, yeah, and yeah. football. Yeah, yeah, he did. But, you know, yeah, and that's uh, football's a tougher game than either one we're talking about, sure. I think. But basketball is kind of brutal when you put in that travel in those games. That's just real tough. Absolutely. One night stands and get on a bus and go somewhere else and do it over and over again. Absolutely. So those, all those guys are really freaks for doing it. I mean, I just don't know how they can. <laughs> yeah. The ironic thing about Conley playing basketball and baseball, DeBusher as well, is that Ron Reed, who pitched for so many teams, including the Braves and Phillies, actually pitched in the majors for 19 years from 1966 through 1985, and he won 146 games while losing 140. And for two years... The 65-66 season and the 66-67 season, Reed played for the Detroit Pistons, averaging eight points a game and just more than six boards a game. All three of them, Conley, DeBusher, and Reed, were quite tall, and all three played forward in the NBA. But while DeBusher turned his focus solely on basketball and Reed mostly concentrated on baseball, Conley was the one who succeeded at both at the same time. But he did excel more on the mound and, of course, was and still is the only player in history to win a championship in two of the four major sports. Uh, he was a, a kind of a power guy, and uh, I never talked to him about that. But as I recall, he didn't have a repertoire of pitches. He had a, he had a breaking ball and a fastball. But he was a big, strong guy, and uh, he was six foot eight. Uh, big guy. The, He's pretty big on top of the mound. Now, that isn't so big anymore, but it was then. <laughs> it was then. He told me one, and I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, when he was traded to Boston, uh, I think that had something to do with his basketball play, too. Mm -hmm. But they traded him to Boston, and he said that was the biggest trade in baseball. Because <laughs> he was six foot eight, They traded him for Frank Sullivan, who was 6'6 six, six or 6'7". Six, <laughs> I knew you were going there. <laughs> you, you, you knew that one, huh? <laughs> That's funny, though. The biggest yeah, thing is, in baseball. And you know, and another thing about his baseball, uh, and I don't know what he did uh, really throughout his major league career, but uh, in, in college, he was a heck of a hitter. Right, he, yeah, uh, he had over 400, high, yeah. I think. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think, had he only played one sport, baseball, he might have been that much better? Oh, absolutely. I don't know how he could have helped it not be better. Either sport, and I think he could have done either one. Mm -hmm. uh, he, was, uh, he was a very good defensive player and uh, one of those hard-nosed guys, you know, in the middle. And uh, I, th I think he would have been much better at either sport if he had concentrated on one. Mm -hmm. I don't have any doubt about that. Now, now, as mentioned earlier, Conley did something that DeBusher didn't do. 
He did something that Bo Jackson didn't do, that Deion Sanders didn't do, that no other two-sport star has ever done. He won a world championship in two different sports. He was a part of the Milwaukee Braves 57 World Series championship team that took down the Yankees, and he played on the Celtic teams and contributed. He wasn't just a a bench player who never saw daylight. He contributed to teams that won the NBA title in 59, in 1960, and again in 1961. You're right. That that does set him apart. (laughs) It sure does. I mean— is is how big a deal is that? I mean, I obviously I know it's a big deal, but it's not that spoken about. Four times in five years, fifty-seven with the Braves, fifty-nine Celtics, sixty Celtics, sixty-one Celtics. That's incredible. Well, it is incredible because nobody did it before, and nobody's done it since, and I doubt if they ever will. Uh, hey, back to Katie Conley's book, one of a kind. He's that's one is one of a kind that could do that, and and the championship level makes it uh, all the more fantastic what he did. Hey, after his playing days were over, and what I found to be somewhat of a common theme with several of the guys I've done podcasts about is the fight for pensions. Many of the athletes I've spoken about were not entitled to pensions because of when they played the game. And the same holds true for Conley. But he and his wife fought for pensions for NBA players who played the game prior to 1965. How tough a fight was that, and what was the result? Well, uh, I think that was an extremely tough fight and a very long one. Uh, When I first met Gene, I mentioned to you that I had dinner with he and his wife, Katie, and my wife, Sandy, was there too, and it was right after uh, they made the breakthrough with the NBA, led by David Stern, I think at the time, where uh, uh, there were some pensions. It was limited, uh, and it's since grown. But were, some pensions were granted to pre pre nineteen sixty five player nineteen sixty five players. Uh, he uh, worked tirelessly on that, and I think his wife worked harder than that. Uh, listening to her talk, uh, they were both devoted to that cause and worked long and hard. And they had they had help from other players, and I can't tell you who they were now, but uh, they were they really led that charge and were instrumental in making it happen. And there's many men that are enjoying those benefits now. Hey, John. Of course, for anyone listening who is old enough to remember the television series Mash and Jamie Farr, he loved. The Toledo Mudhens, <laughs> yeah. and I and I think he did. That, yeah, and I think that certainly helped make the Mudhens one of the more popular minor league teams in all of baseball. You're the team historian. Tell me what you love so much about the Mudhens and some of the cool things about the history of the team. Well, I love them because they're my hometown team, uh, <laughs> and I've been. Uh, I, I told you when I was. Uh, Ten years old, and probably before that, uh, I was watching. Uh, uh, I don't know if I was watching the Mud Hens or the or the Sox. I know I watched the Mud Hens some. We, when the Milwaukee Braves came in in 1953, 
Uh, we changed the name to the Toledo Sox. That's why I'm vacillating on that name. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But uh, uh, it's as I said, it's my hometown team, and I've been following them forever. And uh, you know, they say the golden age of baseball is when you're about 12 years old, no matter who you are. Uh-huh. Uh huh. My grandfather took me to countless ball games. People I talk to, people that say, "Well, yeah, my first game was." and so-and-so pitched, and we won, and I have no idea. They all ran together. In 1953 and 54 and 55, I went to virtually every game, every home game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how I got to like my hometown team, uh, the Mud Hens. Uh, we lost our team again uh, after 1955. The Braves moved them out, and we didn't have baseball in Toledo until 1965. Uh-huh. And we got we got a new uh, we got a new deal. We played in Maumee, Ohio. The Toledo Toledo Mudhounds didn't play in Toledo. They played in Maumee, another suburb. And we were a Yankee farm, and we were all all glad to have uh, have baseball come back. But it didn't do well. It was out of town, and every couple of years we had a new parent club, and it floundered, and then. Uh, in 1978, we got a new general manager, a man by the name of Gene Cook, who was uh, a visionary guy and uh, uh, really took the job seriously. And one of the first things he did was reach out to Jamie Fire, And uh, they became friends, and uh, Jamie Fire became a mud hen booster. And uh, you mentioned the MASH show. Uh, uh, mud hens were featured on that numerous times. Uh-huh. And, and as as a result, uh, the mud hens today are no, known worldwide. When I travel, I always wear mud hen stuff. That's cool. And it's unbelievable the comments I get, no matter where I am. Uh, the mud hen stuff uh, several years ago, and I don't know if it's still the same, but we we uh, have a pretty big operation in Toledo uh, for city our size. Uh-huh. Uh, our, our our club sold more Toledo gear, the the clothing, the caps, and all that kind of thing, than any other minor league club. I don't know that that's still true, but we're close to the top uh, because the name is known worldwide. Uh, that that makes it kind of fun to be associated with a team with a cool name like Mud Hens. Absolutely. And we've had, and we've had that name since 1896. Wow. So there's a lot of there's a lot of similar names like that now. You know, kind of trendy thing to do, but uh, but that started here uh, in 1896. And there's been a couple breaks in that. I told you about the Toledo Sox. Uh, we had a a few years back in the teens when uh, the team was owned by uh, Roger Bresnahan, uh, Hall of Fame catcher, who was sure. Toledo's only. Uh, Made a set in the Hall of Fame. He owned the club, and he called him the Iron Man for a couple of years, uh, which was bad enough. But he almost called him the Bresna Hens. But uh, we we dodged that bullet. We dodged that bullet. But when we talk about Toledo baseball, uh, I always talk about Roger Bresnahan. I always talk about our manager that won the Junior World Series for us and was here for six years in the late 20s and the early 30s, Casey Stengel. Wow. Very colorful guy that really uh, really did a good job for us. And the other guy I always talk about is Moses Fleetwood Walker, who played for the Toledo Blue Stockings in 1884. 
uh, in the year previously, too. But in 1884, we were a major league city, uh-huh. and uh, that made uh, that made Moses Fleetwood Walker the first black man to play major league baseball. Wow, and interesting. And he did it in Toledo. And I'm uh, having a hard time convincing the people of Toledo that that really happened, but I'll never quit. <laughs> One of the things I do, Warren, when I talk to groups about the uh, Toledo baseball history and their baseball people, I'll give them a quiz, a few questions, you know. Mm-hmm. And one I always like to ask, and very seldom does anybody get it, who is the second black man to play Major League Baseball? And they're going to say Jake Jackie Robinson. Well, that's a good guess, but he was third because Moses Fleetwood Walker's brother, Weldy Walker, played five games in Toledo as well oh. in 1884. So, uh, and that's really an obscure guy, but we had the first two here in Toledo. So those are the three things I like to talk about with Toledo baseball. Casey Stengel and Roger Bresnahan and uh, Moses Fleetwood Walker. And it's a pretty good legacy to have guys like that in your history. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So let's just go back to Conley for uh, for a moment. Why sure. is it important that as a baseball fan, we remember Gene Conley? Well, uh, I think uh, the one-of-a-kind thing about being a champion in two sports is tops. And it shows what a guy can do, I think, especially uh, – with what Conley was up against with his health. Uh, he fought it his whole life, uh, at least since, since before he got to the major leagues until the day he died, he had health issues. Uh, and he persevered, and he set his sights on what he wanted to do, and he overcame it. And he overcame uh, a couple of other things, one that he told me about, and he... Uh, was not ashamed to talk about it, but he was an alcoholic. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And he gave, he gave that up uh, in the '60s and uh, stayed sober for the rest of his life. And uh, he told me that uh, when he pitched for the Braves, he'd come home from the ballpark and there'd be another high life on his porch every day. Wow. It was just delivered to him. Wow. But he had he had his problems with that, but he uh, he uh, he conquered that as well. And he had, uh, he's had some issues too with his, he has a wonderful family. Katie's a wonderful lady. We talked about her and, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, her help with the pensions for the NBA players. She, uh, it's been years, she had a brain tumor and some touch and go oh. surgeries and, uh, uh, he cared for her, uh, just, just, just a loving husband. Just, he's, he was as loving a husband as he was a gracious friend. To, to many people, mm-hmm. a good family man. He had three kids, and the, and the, the kids, I think, are all uh, near uh, where they finally retired in Foxborough, Mass. I think mm-hmm. they're all around there. Mm-hmm. Not certain of that, but a couple of them are, at any rate. So he uh, he survived the uh, demon alcohol and uh, uh, and made a wonderful life. He operated a business out of Foxborough called the Foxborough Paper Company for. I think over 30 years after wow. he retired. Wow. And then went to Florida, then came back home to be near the kids for his last years. He just died uh, last summer. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, John, I want to thank you so much for joining me on Sports Forgotten Heroes. This has been really a terrific conversation. And uh, maybe we could have you back sometime and we'll talk a little bit more about the Toledo Mudhens. 
Oh, I'd love to do that. Uh, it's always fun to talk about them, and I appreciate having a, a chance to talk about Gene Connolly. He's, as I told you, uh, he was a hero, and it's just, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know the nuts and bolts of his, uh, of his career and his stats and that sort of thing, but uh, he was my hero as a 12-year-old, and when I talked to him as a 70-year-old, he was, he still was, just because he was such a great guy besides all the stuff he did. So I appreciate being able to talk about him. Terrific. Thank you so much. I think Hussman has a really cool job. Team historian of the Toledo Mudheads. Can't imagine what his home office looks like. The memorabilia, very cool. And the people he must have met over the years, even cooler. Guess all that comes with the territory. As for Gene Conley, after the 1958 season, he was traded to the Philadelphia Phillies, basically because he skipped training to stick with the Celtics for another championship run. He spent two years with the Phillies going 20-21, and and then he was traded to the Red Sox, for whom he spent his final three years. Conley's final overall record was 91 wins and 96 losses with a 3.82 ERA and 13 career shutouts. After his three championships with the Celtics, he took another year off from the NBA and then returned for two more years with the New York Knicks, the 62-63 season, when he posted his best numbers ever, averaging nine points a game and 3.8 rebounds a game. And then the 63-64 season, when age and injury finally caught up with him, and he only appeared in 46 games, averaging just over four points an outing. But what a splendid two-sport career he enjoyed. Imagine being a world champion in baseball and a three-time world champion in basketball. It's incredible. The talent he possessed was absolutely extraordinary. Thanks again to my guest today, John Hussman. And next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we'll turn our focus to the golf course and talk about the career of Roberto DiVincenzo and, of course, the incredible scoring error in the 1968 Masters that cost him a chance to slip on the green jacket. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes.